Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. It's so good to see you. Uh, I'm ready to get to the word. I'm ready. Uh, I do want to. I do want to just briefly mention with the spring retreat. Um, that that's, that's a big deal. It takes a lot of planning to put something like that on. And um, the concept this year, just the last year we did, um, like a, what it means to be single biblically, what it means to be married biblically. We discussed uh, the marriage relationship and, and how God can, can use the leverage of singleness uh, to, to minister uh, the gospel. And that was very specific. I think a lot of people at that time really needed that. And, and the term of faith is, is always used as a way of addressing something that we feel like is pressing in the ministry. Okay, and, and so this year at the Spring Retreat, we're doing uh, a How to Study the Bible workshop. Okay, now I feel like uh, from a lot of the conversations that I've received from the Bible study leaders, the world place right now where we're ready and we're primed to go kind of next level in terms of our understanding of how to study God's Word. And um, I know a, a lot of you are going to get some of this content at the D2 level, the Discipleship 2 level, that's the path that we have that follows Discipleship. There's a segment of the semester that is devoted to how to study the Bible. The difference is, in this case, we'll have the same beautiful and lovely instructor in Eric Phillips. As we went in the new setting. But in this case, we're actually going to put into practice in our small groups the things that we're learning. So we're going to workshop the things so we're learning immediately, and that's going to help you learn at an accelerated rate, and it's going to be very beneficial, not to mention all the fellowship that happens in between. And so I know that some of you are, have many different scenarios, okay? So some of you have to work. Uh, some of you um, maybe have school or classes that day, and there's things that get in the way. Please don't let that keep you from attending. Uh, we want to work with you and, and, and work through those things. And so if you have questions about your schedule, and whether or not you can make it, please work through that with Daniel. Um, he, he is very flexible, and we'll make a way for that to happen. Does that make sense? We want everyone to be there. We don't want anyone to be there. Okay? Are you with me? Okay, we're going to get into the Word. We're going to get Melissa chapter 12, as many of you know. Um, Melissa is going to read for us the beginning of that chapter in preparation for our study today. Okay? All right. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body, and every one members one of another. Having been gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us really honor ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Please to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, 
fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing in sin and prayer. God, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you um, just for the body of believers who are here, for my brothers and sisters, and um, for Brandon, that we get to sit under um, what you're going to be teaching us through your word, through him, and I pray that this morning um, you would just give him the words to speak, that he would be led by the Spirit. Um, God, I pray that you would remove any distractions from here so that we can really focus on what it is you're trying to teach us, and I pray that, uh, God, we would be submitted to what you're trying to teach us, and that we can lift that out. All right, good morning. Now we are going to get right into it. But you know, that's, that's always a little bit difficult for the visitor. Who, who are our first time people here this week? You've never been here before. You, you've been here. Who, who are you? Are you are you Daniel's dad and mom? We love your son very much, and and your daughter-in-law. Now, who else? Who else this first time? You can raise your hand. I'm not gonna like really put you on blast or anything. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's always it's always difficult coming into the middle of preaching when when the teacher has been doing a series, I've been doing this series for a year now, okay? Now, it's, it's like picking up a letter and starting in the middle and just reading it. You're going to have very little context for the whole of that letter, right? You're gonna, like, you can't just pick up a book and start in the middle and expect that you're going to get everything, right? Am I right? Um, but the difference is that this is God's Word. And so there's a lot to, to, to be had from just picking it up and, and starting. And so, for those of you who haven't been here, um, it's okay, okay? Uh, I'll give you a brief context for what we've been studying. The Book of Romans is a, it's really a letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome uh, that was an earlier, the fledgling work. So this is kind of like 50 AD-ish, and the church is very young. And it's a mixture of lots of different people from lots of different religious backgrounds. We've got Jews, we've got Gentiles coming and mixing together in a, in a metropolitan city, the one of the biggest, if not the biggest, city in the world at this time. And um, they're learning to, to, to figure out in that early church what it means to be Christians together. They're learning about their faith, they're learning about the gospel, they're learning about the implications of their salvation, uh, repenting of their sin. What does that bring? Okay, what are the blessings that come with that? What are the difficulties that come with that? And we've been studying this out. Now, in, in chapter 12 is a unique chapter because it's a pivot point uh, to very practical information about what it means to be a Christian. And the very beginning of this chapter that we've been reading is this portion about being a living sacrifice, which basically means that, that as a Christian, you're obligated to yield your entire life to the one that saved you. I mean, isn't that what we were just singing? I mean, that's what we were singing about. Uh, it's very moving in a song. It's very difficult in life. So recognize that it's our job to actually die every day, uh, to live and be dead at the same time, as a paradox that the Christian faces every morning when they wake up. And, and so the beginning of this chapter, it starts that way, and then as we proceed, it begins to talk about what that looks like in our lives, and, and we look, Paul, Paul tells us about the different spiritual gifts uh, that God has given us, 
and how those apply and how those spring out of a yielded life and if we're yielded to the Lord then we can live out the gifting that He's given us. And now we're the part where we're talking about character specifically. Okay? And it, it's been um, hopefully very probing. Talking about character, you know, the world loves to talk about character. So the world loves to talk about what it means to have good character. Because really, character is the only conversation that a lost person can have. There's a whole, in humanistic society, the hope to be good, even though you have no reason to be good. Here's a motivation to be good. There's nothing external beyond this, but we've got to be good because well, that's where evolution has brought us. Uh, for the Christian, character is a completely different com- conversation because it has roots in this idea that we're eternal beings and that the implications of our life go way beyond this temporal and physical. You guys with me so far? And so having good character is always about an eternal thing, and that's kind of where we're at. Now I have time to review all of this, and I will say this is in the PowerPoint, and the PowerPoint will be available to you online. You can download it, and you can get these notes if you haven't been here. Um, you can even go back and listen to the, the last week's message. But the thing about these character traits that we've been looking at is that each one kind of builds on itself. Alright, so um, our attitude towards love. Now, real quick, why attitude? I know we were talking about character, not attitude. Well, well, attitude is a manifestation of character. So if you have a character quality, your attitudes and your actions are going to reflect the fact that something's true about you. Right? The attitude is the thing that is the, the byproduct of character. And that's why we're talking in terms of attitude. And so we talked about an attitude towards love and this idea that love needs to be without dissimulation. And dissimulation is this word that means without faking it. Right? And we talked about that. We broke that down. We talked about love as as kind of this foundational aspect of good character. And if we have love right, and we understand love rightly, then the other character qualities can build upon our understanding of love. And obviously our model for love is Jesus Christ. And then we continued on and talked about our attitude towards good and evil and how we understand good and evil in this world and our attitude towards it. A lot of times we like to make it sin that surrounds us. We don't take a hard stance. And then sometimes we're out of balance the other way, and sometimes we take a judgmental stance instead of being balanced in our perspective of good and evil that surrounds us every day in this world. Right? And so we recognize that, that we talk about love, and then we talk about good and evil, and then from that, other things build upon that, including our attitude towards other people, kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. And this idea of, of good character says that we ought to put other people over ourselves. So we ought to, to, to put other people's um, hearts and their emotions and their desires above our own because isn't that what Christ did on the cross, right? And, and again, Christ becomes our model for the character that we want. And then it continues on, it continues to build, and we talk about our attitude towards stewardship. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, and, and this idea that everything that we're responsible for in this life um, ought to be stewarded with carefulness. Not lazy in our business, right? By business, that just refers to anything that we're doing day to day. Not being lazy, um, and not being neglectful, but being intentional. Being intentional in life. Being purpose something that, that a lot of college and young adults maybe struggle with a little bit. Right? We talked about that as well. And then our attitude of faith. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. If our character is right, we have a good attitude in our faith, and, and this is what it looks like. It looks like rejoicing in hope. 
It looks like being worshipful and anticipation that God works out for good to those who love Him, all things. And His intent is that, he, that we know that He's got our back in any, in any circumstance, and we can rejoice knowing that the Christian has hope in this world, right? And then our faith can also be rooted in, in our tribulation. In the midst of tribulation, we can be patient and enduring. In the midst of difficulty, knowing that God is for us, faith that God is for us, and that He has our back. And then also drives us to prayer. If we believe that God is for us, then we are going to be prayerful to Him, leveraging that gift that He's given us. You know, it's really bizarre. The idea of prayer is very, very strange. You're not going to get your head around the fact that God has given us a floor with Him. And he's invited us into his home room. But we have the ability to speak to a God that's invisible to us and that he hears every word. And that he even interprets it when we don't know how to say what we need to say. He even hears our heartbeat rather than our words. And it's a very strange thing that we find that kind of acceptance and that kind of uh, access to him. But we can come before him and leverage his ear. It's an amazing gift that prayer is. And so, so all of those things are by hot product of faith. And so this morning, we're going to actually just focus on one attitude. This leads us uh, to our next attitude. Uh, this is a continuation. You can go to the next slide. The Gospel of Practice, Authentic Christian Character. This is part two. All right? And we're going to spend the majority, or actually all of our time together, talking about how all of these different things culminate in how we serve one another in ministry. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so, so up to this point, some of the attitudes uh, have dealt with people. The attitudes that we've looked at have dealt with people. Some of the attitudes have dealt with how we steward or our conduct in life. Some of the attitudes uh, deal with the nature of our faith, you know, praise, patience, and prayer, each one building upon another. But in verses 13 through 21, we find ourselves addressing our attitude and ministry. And this is the unique thing about this portion, okay? Ministry is the place where all of these other attitudes and all of these other character qualities collide into one another. Because ministry means church. That's what that means. Ministry means church. God does ministry through the local body. And because ministry means church, it also means family. And family means messy, doesn't it? Family means messy. Family isn't easy. A lot of us know that from just our own physical families, that the family is not an easy thing to do. And yet we come together expecting a lot of times that our family, our spiritual family, is going to be perfect, and it's just not. And so if spiritual family is, is not going to be perfect, and it's going to be messy, then we, we better have the right character and my attitude to deal with it the right way. Does that make sense? So it's going to be hard to do family right, but if we're committed to it, then what it's going to demand is going to demand one thing. And all of these spiritual qualities are devoted to this one idea, sacrifice. The ultimate and foundational character quality exists in this idea of being sacrificial. So, so verse 13 asks this question, and so I'm going to ask it to you. Do you have a heart to sacrifice? And more specifically, do you have a heart to sacrifice for the people that you surround yourself in a ministry context? So if we, we look around this room, that means for these people. 
you have a heart to sacrifice for the people in this room. And not just the people that are in your Bible study. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, this is your family. Do you have a, a, a genuine heart? And I know that this maybe even for some of you who are new to this family, this might be a very difficult question because you're still getting to know people. All of this is very new to you. Maybe your salvation is new. Right? And so this is a tough question. Are you willing to sacrifice for your family? to make sure that ministry is right. So let's look a little closely at this. And uh, Paul always makes things very practical for us. Let's look at verse 13. And we're going to divide up this idea of our attitude in ministry into four parts. Okay, and the very first one is sacrifice. 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 And this is how it's defined for us. Oh, by the way, the high school that I teach at is filming me. For a, for a news broadcast. Hey, what's up? <laughs> At school. They're going to do a story on the fact that I am a pastor. <laughs> so praise God for that. That's good. That's another opportunity to share a question. Um, so welcome. If you need anything, give us a shout. There's water behind you. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, so, let's look at this very first verse, verse 13. Are you guys with me? Listen to what it says. This is how Paul addresses this issue of sacrifice. This is where we come to. He's starting to talk about ministry now. And he says, distributing to the necessity of saints, given the hospitality. And we're going to look real quick at distributing to the necessity of saints. This word distribute means to share. To share. Okay, so sharing as an act of moral conviction is not in our, in our natural man. You realize that, right? Um, my children are really bad at, at, about sharing. They're off-right, in fact. And, and they fight and they bicker all the time. And coaching them in terms of sharing is probably one of the hardest parenting things that I've had to do. It's teaching them what it means to share. Because in some cases, a shepherd is... is justified in playing with the toy that he got out. And he has the right to say, no, this time I'm not going to share. Because there's times in which Clementine just wants to take advantage of. And it's hard for a six-year-old boy to discern what to do. And so often it just becomes about jealousy and fighting and bickering. And this same thing plays out in our in every aspect of our life. Okay? I mean, think about politics right now. Right? Think about our Congress. Think about the world that we live in and how difficult it is for people to be sacrificial. I mean, in our government, our government takes money from one group to take it, to redistribute it to another, and then they call that sharing. That's how they define sharing. They take money from one group and then they redistribute it and they call that sharing. But our government, on the other hand, sometimes doesn't take money to help the people that actually need it. And they call that fair. Okay? And so there's a contradiction in terms, as far, as far as our world is concerned, our world does not in and of itself know how to share. They don't know what it is. True sharing, okay, true sharing can only happen in the life of a believer. Because sharing in the world always looks selfish in the end. It always looks selfish. 
As a society of lost people, we will never get this right. That's because sharing is a spirit-led response. Okay, so let's talk about this. Let's talk very practically about, about sharing. If you don't have anything to share, then you can't share. That's a very simple idea, isn't it? When we discuss sharing, it encompasses everything that could be shared, right? So listen, time, money, energy, resources, these are all things that we share in the context of ministry, right? We share our lives together. We give of everything. Sometimes that's very physical, sometimes it's very spiritual. So there's a principle that we must acknowledge. Key point number one. People who aren't good stewards won't have anything to share and need to us. Okay? People who aren't good stewards with their resources, their time, their energy, their money, when there's a need that arises, you're not going to be available to even help or even act sacrificially because somewhere along the line you've got other principles wrong. And the principle I want to talk about is, is uh, right here is this idea of stewarding and storing up. There's a biblical principle for storing up. Proverbs chapter 6. I'm oh, sorry, are you writing that down? Am I moving too fast? I've got a lot to cover today. There's something like 30 slides here. If you have me, your fingers are going to have to move very fast. Okay, so people who aren't good stewards won't have anything to share when needs arise. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. We're going to use the ant as an example. God uses an ant as an example quite a bit in Scripture. And it's always about stewardship. And every instance that I've found, it's always about this idea of stewardship. So go to the ant. That's sluggard. Now wait, we talked about slothfulness. We just talked about this. Okay, so there's a lot, there's a lot to learn here. Go to the ant, that's sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Which having no guide or overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. See, the ant knows that they should store up because there's going to be a time in which the ant is hungry. They'll need to know that those resources are available. Look at Proverbs chapter 30, verse 24. There be four things which are, uh, that which are and this is a portion of scripture where God uses a series of animals to explain stewardship. And he starts here with the ant. So for there, uh, there be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The ants are a people, not strong. Have you ever stepped on an ant before? You, know, you don't even know when you've done it. It's because they're weak. Alright? They're weak. You, you can crush an ant very easily. Right? Yet they prepare their meat in the summer. So these are weak creatures, simple, simple creatures, and they know enough that their life requires them to store things back because there's going to be a time of need. And, and so to go beyond that, the ants are a very communal population. So when they store up, they store up with the intent that the whole community share in that. Okay? The strength of the ant is that they store in preparation for hard times. And for us, this might be physical resources, right? Finances, money, food. Some of you have a food pantry in your house that you keep food. You store it back to the principle in Scripture that one ought to have a season's worth of food in storage. Shelter, 
is another very important thing. These are all things, these are all physical resources that, that we might uh, build and, and, and store up. But there's also spiritual resources that we need. We need truth. We need counsel. We need emotional availability. These are also things that we store up, and they require storing. Listen very carefully. If you're not intimate in your alone time with Jesus Christ, and you're not storing that spiritual wealth, and you have nothing to offer people when they come to you for counsel. You have nothing to offer. So we're talking about you and your stewardship as a college and young adult. You need to start thinking about what it means to save your money, to hold money back, to be responsible for the child, to know how to budget, to think about where it is that you're going to live. And your day-to-day needs, how are you storing up so that when someone does have need, whether it be financial or, or any other physical thing, that you're available to be sacrificial and distribute to the needs of the people that are around you. But this also means spiritual things. This also means if this is the time in your life where you need to be getting discipled, you need to be invested in, you need to be learning what it means to have habits of studying God's Word and taking in the wealth of what God has to offer you, taking in that substance, so that when people come to your need, they're available to distribute that. Does that make sense? So the distributing that we have stored up and the blessings that we have received is a gift from God, not intended to be uh, selfishly spent. The things that we receive are not intended for selfish spending. Look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. Okay, so, so listen. The wise, they, they, they store back treasure. They store back oil. They're ready and prepared. But listen, but a foolish man spends it up. And that's the best the truth for many of us. Many of us waste our resources on selfish things. So that when people come to us, we're unavailable for them. And, and you know what, listen folks, uh, as you get older, it's really easy at this time in your life to, to think in terms of selfish things, and if you don't learn and discipline yourself now, then guess what? When you actually have things, you're not going to know how to be sacrificial with them. I mean, you're saying to yourself, well, I don't have much, but you do have much. You do have much. God has given you much. He's given you much. He's given you many things. I don't care how old you are or how far along you are in your maturity. God has given you lots of things. If you're here this morning, God has given you lots of things. So listen to me. If you don't learn how to practice gain and giving, then when you actually have an abundance of things, you're not going to know how to share. And sharing is very important to ministry. See, the wisdom of Joseph was his ability to store up food against the potential drought to come. And when he had done so, because he had done so, in his wisdom, he had the ability to distribute to all of the nations that surrounded Egypt. He provided not just for his house. He never went without that, uh, worked for that. His family never worked for that. But neither did the nations and the heathen that surrounded him. Because he had done the wise thing. 
Paul addresses this issue as it concerns the church in Ephesus. He calls Timothy to instruct the wealthy of the congregation to focus their attention on making both eternal and spiritual investment in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world, okay? People that have financial wealth in this world. He looks, now listen, he says charge them, he means give them instruction, beseech them, provoke them to the following things. And what we're about to read is he wants them to turn their physical eyes towards spiritual things. To think about their physical wealth and their spiritual wealth in terms of investment. So, so listen carefully. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, that they be not proud, nor trust in uncertain riches, which are physical riches, right? But in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they uh, do good, that they be rich in good works. Listen, ready to distribute ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay a hold on eternal life. So there's a spiritual blessing to be had with physical things. Our physical things are just a shadow of the spiritual truth that we need to be giving what God has given us. That's what ministry life looks like. And so here's our key point. Distributing to the needs of God's people. Distributing to the needs of God's people is about sacrificing for the physical and spiritual necessities of the church. Okay, so there's an HDA system in, one of, in the mobile units. And it's, it's just a matter of months before it's going to be hot outside. Now listen, I know that uh, uh, Alex framed it as though this is going to benefit the whole church and it's not. It's not. He was wrong. This is not for the main building. This is for the mobile units. And so the people in this room, actually, guys, will never actually benefit from that HVAC unit. You never, you'll never, I mean, there might be a time at some point, but you'll probably never go in there and enjoy the AC this coming summer. There's no reason to do it. That's not your class. That's for Kenny, and that's for that's the King's class, and the other fellowships, for, for Will Myers' class. Uh, they're going to be in that room. And they're going to be in those rooms, and they're going to benefit from the fact that you decided to be sacrificial in your giving, that you might distribute to the needs of the body. And that might look like, like not getting pizza with your buddies this week. That might mean not getting the video game that you want to purchase. Sometimes I just like, I know that these are real examples, and so it could be the more humorous. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you might not be able to get the thing that you want so that you can give to someone else. And you know what? God says that's okay. But is it okay? Is it okay in the heart? What is your character like? Now, this will be asked you to be in church. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 is this beautiful passage. We see salvation beginning to happen in mass. People coming to know Christ. This is very, very early on. Uh, after Christ's resurrection. I mean, we're, just, we're talking weeks, days. It says uh, in verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. In the same day they were, they were added unto them about 3,000 souls saved. Oh, isn't that amazing? In one day. 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayer. They were sharing in the study of God's word. You see that? They were, they were together. They were in fellowship. And I'll say this. That is these two things, this part the next thing. Studying God's word and being together in fellowship, those two things need you to be sacrificial in the way that we're about to read about. And fear came upon every soul. Fear. Why fear? Why fear? You know, fear as if it's concerned with God is an awesome and same thing. Why? You created all things. If you don't fear the one that created all things, there's something serious in the Bible. I'm not preaching on that this morning, but fear came upon every soul as it should. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things come in hand. And this is what they did. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. It's always a response to need, too. It's not haphazard. It's not just like, it's not communism. It's not just redistribution for the sake of redistribution. What we're talking about is when someone had need, no one had any problem sacrificing something to help. And that's beautiful. So if you love people the way Christ does, then you ought to be able to ask yourself, is there any area I can make sacrifice so that it might bless someone else? That's the heart of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now look at the next type of sacrifice, and that's given to hospitality. So let's keep moving in the verse, right? We're still talking about sacrifice here in verse 13. But this other kind of sacrifice is the sacrifice of hospitality. And the word hospitality quite literally means you're prone to love strangers. You're prone to love strangers. Now, we know from studies, studying this chapter, that hospitality is a spiritual gift. There are some people who just have the innate character, the innate quality given to them by God, out of need, to be hospitable. It is built that way. But hospitality here is also a command. This is a command. That we ought to be given to hospitality, that we should be prone to it. So here's our key point. It is the responsibility of all believers to actively look for opportunities to be hospitable. It's the responsibility, your responsibility, to actively look for opportunities to be hospitable, meaning love strangers, love people that you don't know. Now this is why it requires sacrifice. Because you have to put your personal convenience on the back burner in order to do that. It's really easy to love the people that we know. That doesn't require much sacrifice, does it? I mean, you get to a place where that doesn't feel like sacrifice. You just love people. You want to give to them. You want to have them over for dinner. You want to go out to eat with them. You want to spend time with them. If they have a need, you're there for them, right? That's what friends do. But someone who loves a stranger, if someone who's willing to sacrifice themselves in order, in order to see someone they don't know have their needs met. Now, now, this is crucial for our ministry to understand, guys. This is crucial. Ty, if we lose the heart of hospitality, then we have lost this ministry. Let me put it this way. If we are evangelical, like we're saying that we want to be, okay, we're probably never going to be what God wants us to be because we're weak and we're dumb. Or disobedient. And there will be days that we don't evangelize when we should. But if we're striving to be evangelical, 
That means that every Sunday, or every Monday night, or every Wednesday at your Bible study, there will be new people that you've never seen before walking through the doors. And, I, and I'm calling you I'm calling you to be responsible for being hospitable to people that you don't know. Sunday mornings, you know, we have a philosophy of serving. But sometimes we get so caught up in serving that we forgot who, who we're serving. And if we're serving Jesus Christ, then we're going to be given to hospitality. We're going to take a moment and not put away a chair at the end of service so we might have a conversation with the person. Like I get it, like I, I love that you're prioritizing putting away the chairs after service, but I'd much rather you invest in the soul. Someone else will get the chair. Okay? Someone who was already given hospitality like three minutes earlier. Okay? They'll get the chair because you're being given to hospitality now. See if we're practical. The needs will all get mad. Right? I mean, at least if we're distributing to the needs, all the needs will get mad. So we have nothing to worry about. Everyone's going to fill the gap. Everyone else is going to fill the gap. If there's a need, we'll need it. But you do the things that's required to be hospitable to people when they come into this, into this room, into your Bible studies. And that means sacrifice. That means that, that when you, a Bible study leader, listen, when you have people into your home, you're making brownies, gosh dang it. Amen? Yeah. I mean, at least, at least call another leader and tell them to come to like some more of can you stop? You know, because you want to create a hospitable environment so that when guests come, when visitors come to your Bible study, they feel welcome at home. You're actually proving to them that this is a family and not just community. Many people talk about community a lot, don't they? So, so I'm, I'm asking you, folks, to, to, to consider hospitality. And maybe that means considering actually being a part of the hospitality team. Some of you on the hospitality team, listen, okay, since we're putting all these people on blast, I'm going to join in with Alex. Um, if, if, if you're on the hospitality team, you know what, you know your job isn't to just stand at that door and bring people? I mean, we're thankful for that. But there's a lot of people to do that. And when someone shows up with you, and you feel led to do so, you have to walk them in the building, to get them a cup of coffee, bring them in, sit them down, introduce them to other people, and then once you've done that, and you've met that requirement, and you show them from above, you go back to the door, go back. Well, we've got to be hospitable. Are you looking, when you come into this place, are you looking for people that you don't know? Come on. That's what we got to be about. Okay, next, let's look at this uh, next attitude, this second is very small, I apologize, but this next function, okay, of an attitude in ministry is softness in our suffering. Softness in our suffering. You know, I uh, am a man, and um, whenever I hear the term soft, it usually has a negative connotation, right? I can even call someone soft. I mean, uh, I used to, like, Harass my friends, and it's like I just say that they're softly strong. Right? 
I listen to too much E40 in high school, so probably like two of you know what that means. But, um, but my point is, is, is that like that doesn't like to be called soft is is for men maybe not the term you want to hear. Okay, uh, but listen, here softness means tenderness. We're talking about being tender, and tender in a specific context. So let's look at verse 14. This is real hard, y'all. I don't. I can talk about this, but I don't even know how hard this really is. Listen, it says, bless them which persecute you. And then it says the word bless again. Reiterating that, bless and curse not. Let's first talk about this idea of persecution. The definition of persecute means to antagonize, harass, or cause people to suffer. Antagonize, harass, or cause people to suffer. That's the persecute. You know, it's important for us to acknowledge that there will be attack in the life of the yielded believer. There's going to be attack that comes your way. This is, this is so true in Rome. Listen to me. This is very true for Paul when he was writing the Romans. It was only 20 years after this that Nero began to massacre Christians in multitudes, thousands upon thousands of people who called themselves Christian were dying. So this became incredibly relevant to these people. But for us, persecution should look like the definition antagonism of any sort, harassment of any sort. Now listen, attack, attack takes many forms, and it will come from within and without. It'll come from within Christian circles, and it'll come from without. Now, from without, that makes sense, doesn't it? From outside, outside the family, that makes sense. The people who aren't saved would maybe give you a hard time about your faith. That they might see your devotion, and they might hear the words that you say, and that their response to that might be that you're an idiot. And that totally makes sense. I get that. I mean, I do believe the blood of the living God washes away my sins. I do believe that. And if someone wants to call that foolish, well, I'll take that. I can take that. And I get it. I even get it. For someone who hasn't come to faith. But they might even react with hostility. Often because your holy lifestyle condemns their wicked one. People hate when you live holy. It really bothers them. Because they can't help but compare their life to yours. Right? They don't like it. And you know, so we expect that the lost world might might have hostile feelings, that they might persecute us, but sometimes God forbid it happens within the church, and that's harder. And here's the thing I want to say to you. If you ever feel like this persecution is happening in the context of Midtown Baptist Temple, well then let's as a team address that. That ought to not go unaddressed. There's there's a prescription that the Bible gives us for how to deal with division within the body. And we'll, do, and we'll do that because we're a team and we love each other. And if there's difficulty and there's harassment that's taking place, uh, then we, we'll work through that together. And if you need to get a pastor involved or a Bible study, you doesn't do that because we want to be unified. You understand? But a lot of times the antagonism that we face Christian to Christian comes from without this outside this body. Family members who have a different denominational background um, or perhaps they just don't believe the Bible, it's a literality that we do. And so you receive harassment 
because if you take the Bible so seriously and maybe they don't, and there's, there's all kinds of hostility that exists within Christianity today. And you might face that, God forbid, he doesn't want it that way, but that's the world that we live in. Either way, you know, God doesn't specify here, but persecution will come. And with that, you have to see it soberly with a ready mind and, and with clarity to receive it the right way. So let's look at how we do that. John chapter 15, verse 18. If the Lord hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. This is Jesus talking. Christian, you know that the world hated Jesus, right? That they slaughtered the creator of the world. You know that story, right? The Son of God came into the world, and the, the creation that He made, that He breathed life into, hung Him on a cross and killed Him. So He says, if the, if the world hated you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love His own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose Him out of the world, therefore the world hated you. Remember the, the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they, kept my, if they have kept my saying, then they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they, they know not him that sent me. Guys, you're going to face persecution. It's a reality of being a Christian. And you need to know what to do with it. And this is the prescription that God gives us here. Bless them. The command is clear. You bless those that persecute you. Here's our key point. It's the responsibility of those enduring harassment to respond to evil with good. It's your responsibility. Look, it's not the responsibility of that lost person or that confused person or that person who's persecuting you to get their mind right. A lot of times we want to enact justice. And we go about trying to convince particularly lost people as the main activity that they are wrong. Well, the prescription here isn't to be like sit down and reason with them. No, 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 no. The prescription is that we must endure that harassment and respond to evil with good, with goodness. Luke chapter 6 verse 27 says, But I say unto you, which here love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Not an easy thing to do. And listen to me. Just like all of the other character parties, I can't really tell you how to do it. How do you get there? The only thing I can tell you is that the closer you get to Christ, the easier it is to endure anything. If he can endure hatred, listen, when they had Jesus on trial, sometimes he responded, always very wise in his response, and sometimes he said nothing. Yeah? You answer a fool according to their father, you don't answer a fool according to their father, right? Like there's times to speak and there's times to keep your mouth shut, but the answer is always love and bless those who treat you awful. That is what we're to do. That's what we're called to do. And that will only happen as you grow close to Christ. 
says, curse not. Let someone's persecute you, bless and, and curse not. Curse not means don't return negative words in response to the persecution. That's what we want to do a lot of times. We want to respond with negative words. We're going to defend ourselves. We don't do that. Curse not. Bridling your tongue is crucial in these moments. What kind of response does persecution demand? So listen, Proverbs, Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath. The grievous words stir up anger. A soft answer turneth away wrath. The grievous words stir up anger. Proverbs 25.15 Thy long forbearing is a prince persuaded, and a, and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. Wow. A soft answer breaks his bones? That's pretty powerful. I want to understand that more. You know, listen, it's a sign of maturity to know how to address the trackers with love. And this is a major theme of this chapter. Right now in verse 17 of Romans chapter 12. This is what it says. Recompense no man evil for evil. This is the instruction at the end of this chapter. This is how this chapter closes out. Listen very carefully. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. You know, some of you, listen to me, Christians are really bad about this. Because, you know, Christians have truth. They have absolute truth. And they're very confident in that. I'm very confident. And whenever I'm speaking the words of this book, I'm very, very confident in those words. And sometimes people don't like it, sometimes people do. They want to hear it. But you know what's really awful about Christians is sometimes they get in the habit of believing that all the words they say are true. They can grow to be very antagonistic in the way that they approach people because they know they have some truth. They have absolute truth in the words of God. You know what? You don't have to feel that way about music or television. Well, they do opinion in their mouth, you're going to preach them like the way you preach the word. It's not the same. So grow in the habit of preaching about things that are important. Our job is to live peaceably with all men. And you're going to only do that in the right way. If you make the word the primary thing that come out of your mouth. Love. The right attitude. As much as I can live peaceably with all men, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Rather give place in the wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, oh, okay, so, what? He switches gears real fast here. You're not supposed to do something when my enemy approaches me in the wrong way? I'm, I'm treated awfully, I'm supposed to do something. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt keep coals of fire on his head. Those are strong words. I mean, it's almost like a soft answer to break bones. It's almost like when you give and you show love in the midst of antagonism and persecution, you pour heaping coals on the head of the detractors. Now, this isn't, this isn't a point of pride. Those heaping coals are the fire of God's truth. And their intent is that a person finds conviction. Their intent is they're supposed to be led to Christ. But they, they find great conviction in the fact that they treated you poorly. How do you, how is it, okay, so let me tell you this, guys. I'm going to tell you this story and we'll close. I don't have time to cover everything I wanted to cover. I'm, I'm moving slow, if you will. I apologize for that. Some of you know this story, some of you don't. 
When I went to India, I guess that was three years ago now, um, I taught a pastor's thing. Okay, we taught the minor prophets, so again, a group of other people. We taught, uh, Uriah was there, Drake and Dan and I were there. And uh, we met all these pastors. And it was in this region, uh, this state in India called Orissa, or Odisha. And, and, and it's a very rural state. And it's a primarily Hindu population. Lots of Hindus. And these Hindus at one point in the early 2000s became very hostile towards Christians. There was a situation that arose, there was a misunderstanding. The Hindus blamed the situation on Christians, and so they began to kill Christians. They burned the churches down, um, they killed men, women, children. They took pastors and they put them in prison. Now, in this Bible school that we taught at, there were, there were two men that were there. One of the men was the jailer, a Hindu jailer, of a Christian man that was put in jail. Isn't that amazing? Now listen carefully. That Hindu jailer made that Christian pastor, this was about 2005, eat his own fecal matter. And it was the testimony of that preacher that led that Hindu man to accept Jesus Christ and both of them were in the Bible to see while we were there. Listen, I don't know how. I don't know how to love. I treat people poorly all the time. I don't think sacrificially. I struggle. But I know that when I stare longingly into the face of Jesus Christ, that He teaches me something. He teaches me how to endure hostility. And He teaches me how to love people who do not love me. And I have the ability to show people something that they've never seen before. Not in their family members, not in their friends, not in their co-workers. They have the ability to see Christ in me. Because I can take it. I can take the rest and I can take the difficulty. I don't need to stand up for myself. I don't need to fight some arbitrary, opinionated... I don't need anything in this world. This world is not my own. And I have life, and I have life more abundantly, and I have the ability to show people by enduring and treating them with love, even when they don't treat me that way, what it means to know Jesus Christ and to be His friend. See, I don't have to see things in terms of the temporal. I can see the, see the world in terms of eternity. And in light of eternity, persecution is very, very good. I think I'm out of sandwich. There's no big deal in light of eternity. You know what I mean? In the moment, it's not good. Right? But in light of eternity, you can, you can take anything, and you know what? God uses it. God uses your love to pour heaps of coal on the heads of all those who do not understand. It's not their fault. They're lost in their sin. They're in a place of darkness. Our character has to be right. If we're going to look different than the Christians that the world sees, you know? You know the world? Oh, I'm not going to do that. You know, real quick, you guys know what these pictures are? 
He's all the president. Yeah, I'm sorry, it doesn't look like the president. <laughs> there are children, let's give them some grace, right? <laughs> now, now listen to me, since the most of the world, these men would look like Christianity. Do you know that? These flawed men, with their flawed policies, some of them own slaves. And a lot of the world who doesn't understand sees these men as our Christian leaders. Isn't that interesting? How do we erase that thinking? How do we show the world what true Christianity is? How do we show them what love looks like? How do we give them the real gospel? It's going to require a lot of upright character from you. It's going to require a blameless testimony from the true Christians, right? And that's what we need to call on God to help us to do this morning. So we're going to do the invitation now. Praise team, come on up. We're going to bow our heads and pray. We're going to search our hearts. And we're going to ask, are we really sacrificial people? Are we really sacrificial people? If there is something that's hindering us from treating the people in this body the right way, maybe there's bitterness. There's something to go. Look, look, look. I know we're in a hurry to go to the office.